for watching NTD Business. Coming up, good news for the workers. The latest government indicator for layoffs hit a five-month low, despite the Federal Reserve's efforts to cool off the job market. And the NATO military alliance weighs in on the gas leaks in Europe, warning it'll take action if anyone attacks its members' infrastructure. And the Chinese yuan is weakening against the dollar fast, prompting a strong warning from the Chinese central bank against speculation. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Don Ma here for NTD Business. And good news for people working or looking for work. The latest government data today show companies are doing their best to hold on to workers. Fewer Americans applied for jobless benefits last week. Actually, it's the lowest level in five months. One analyst says the low layoff numbers, quote, fly in the face of the Federal Reserve's efforts to weaken the labor market. Meanwhile, the Fed's favorite inflation indicator was revised up for the second quarter, meaning inflation was actually higher than originally thought. And the market tumbled today after this news. We'll have more on that in just a moment. But apparently Amazon is one of those employers holding on to its workers. It just announced yesterday that some of its workers will soon be making more money. It says the pay increase will happen next month. That means the average starting pay will jump to $19 an hour. That'll be for warehouse workers and delivery drivers. The raise comes ahead of the busy holiday season and at a time when Amazon workers are planning to unionize. One Amazon facility near Albany, New York, is setting to hold a union election next month. Turning to Wall Street, big sell-off on the market today. Although the major indexes did reverse some earlier losses late in the day, still the S&P hit its lowest point since November 2020. It fell 79 points or 2 and 1 tenths of percent. The Dow lost 458 points or 1 and a half percent. And the Nasdaq dropped 314 points or 2 and 8 tenths of a percent. And on the European market, Porsche roared onto the Frankfurt Stock Exchange today. It debuted with a valuation of over $72 billion. It's one of Europe's biggest listings ever. Porsche's CEO is praising the debut. We are convinced there is more inside us. We will achieve independence and even greater entrepreneurial leeway. We want to become even faster, more flexible and more focused. Porsche will be able to continue to profit from the synergies within the Volkswagen Group. The listing values Porsche at nearly the same price as its parent firm, Volkswagen, and ahead of rivals like Ferrari. In all, it should generate around $19 billion for Volkswagen. That'll likely be used to help fund its shift to electric cars. VW says despite market turmoil, now is the perfect time to list because fund managers are sorely in need of a stable and attractive stock to invest in. Porsche shares closed flat today. And add NATO to the list of those questioning the leaks in Europe's natural gas pipelines this week. Today, NATO said it believes those leaks were the result of sabotage. It didn't say, though, who it thinks is responsible, but it did issue a warning, saying it would retaliate for any attacks on critical infrastructure of its member states. The first leaks were reported Tuesday in two pipelines extending from Russia to Germany. Seismologists say there were explosions before the leaks. All this comes as Europe faces soaring natural gas prices amid an energy crisis. Russia, a major supplier to Europe, cut off deliveries earlier this year. It was retaliating for sanctions imposed over its conflict in Ukraine. Many blame Russia for the leaks, but Russia denies it.
With the natural gas supply from Russia decreasing, people in Europe are suffering from high energy costs. Germany today just announced an aid package of up to nearly $200 billion by taking on new loans to help reduce soaring energy prices. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz said the measure was necessary at a news conference in Berlin. He added that the aid package would reduce gas prices for individuals and businesses. What's important now is a gas price break. We put into place a commission which will make concrete suggestions in the very near future. But what's possible now is that it can use the means for prices to come down for consumers across the country, for families, for retirees, for workers, but also for small and large companies. Meanwhile, the German economy is heading towards a possible recession. And this all comes as inflation in Germany hit its highest level since 1996. And the European Central Bank this month made its largest ever interest rate increase to fight inflation. It feels like everyone is criticizing UK Prime Minister Liz Truss's tax cuts. Leading financial figures around the world are saying things like, it's pouring gasoline on the fire, or they're shooting themselves in the foot, and it's a blunder. Even the IMF joined in. But the woman at the center of all these attacks, Liz Truss, has doubled down. In a very, very contentious BBC interview, Truss says it was a difficult decision, but the government has done the right thing. What actions? Are you going to reverse what was announced in the mini-budget in order to at least make things better now for my listeners who are not sleeping at night? I don't accept the premise of the question. The action we've taken has been helping people with their fuel bills. That will start off this weekend. It's been helping people have with to their tax bills. People are going to pay less national insurance. But we are facing difficult economic times. I don't, I don't deny this. This is a global problem. But what is absolutely right is the UK government has stepped in and acted. So what's happening? Is trust indeed pouring gasoline on the fire? Or does her tax plan have merit? Despite the criticism, the big bond sell-off and the drop in the pound. Tax cuts are supposed to create economic growth because people would have more money to spend and companies will have more money to grow. But many are worried the tax cuts are coming during a time of high inflation. Inflation means having too much money in the economy and tax cuts put even more money in the economy. Economists have always had wildly different opinions. One prominent economist, Brian Dmitrovich, is going against the mainstream criticism of trust. He's a scholar at the Laffer Center. Dmitrovich says trust's plan is actually outstanding. In a high inflation and possibly recessionary environment, this is exactly the kind of tax cut you want because it's primarily a tax cut on the highest earners. So the highest earners have the most likelihood on seeing their rate of return after tax increase of deploying more money into economic enterprises. And that means more supply. If there's more supply, inflation will go down and economic growth will go up. So you will solve both halves of the stagflation problem. In other words, using the high earners to grow the economy. Dmitrovich is, as I said, a scholar at the Laffer Center. He works very closely with economists known as the father of supply-side economics. Arthur Laffer is the inventor of the Laffer Curve. This is the idea that lowering tax rates can at times bring in more revenue, not less. The concept is that the increased economic growth will result in more tax revenue despite lower tax rates. Dmitrovich says this almost always happens when you give high earners the cut. 
and there's more revenue, then all the talk about having to borrow more will be irrelevant. And this isn't purely theoretical. Dmitrovich says there's a good example from American history. The first great tax cut of the American supply side era, the foundational one, was the 1978, November 1978, capital gains tax rate cut, which took that top rate at times up to 49%, it was, down to 28%. And vir- virtually all economic historians and business people now regard that as the origin of the venture capital boom. And the dollar tanked on that news as the bill was wending its way through Congress. The dollar had only been on flexible rates for a few years, and it went to its lowest level ever uh, right in the fall of 1978. Um, This ended up being the most historic buying opportunity in modern investment history because, of course, the tech boom would be financed by that capital gains rate cut. This is a far different view of trust's policies, far more optimistic than the ones flooding the media. But will trust prevail, or are her critics right? Seems like only time will tell. And moving on, Russia has teamed up with the Taliban regime in Afghanistan in a major commodities deal. NTD's Sean Marshall has more. The Taliban regime in Afghanistan has signed a trade deal with Russia. Under the agreement, Russia would supply around 1 million tons of gasoline, a million tons of diesel, half a million tons of liquefied petroleum gas, and 2 million tons of wheat annually. They have not been able to address the humanitarian crisis in Afghanistan effectively, so this essentially saves them. The Taliban terrorist group took control of Afghanistan last year after the U.S. and its allies withdrew military forces from the country. I asked geopolitical analyst Irina Zuckerman how this deal could help the Taliban. It gives them access to uh, resources, Uh, that they badly need to continue staying in power. It discourages uh, other groups from uh, developing an effective response, and it brings Russia closer into Afghanistan and uh, and supports its efforts against the West. Russia does not officially recognize the Taliban government, but their embassy is one of only a handful to remain open in the Afghan capital. Zuckerman told me how this could also help Russia. Central Asian countries that have been unable to trade with Russia directly due to Western sanctions may use the Taliban as a conduit to evade sanctions. And Russia is also eyeing uh, the oil and gas deposits in the area. The Taliban regime also reportedly received some gas and oil from Iran and Turkmenistan and has strong trade ties with Pakistan but wanted to diversify. Sean Marshall, NTD News. And turning to China, its central bank is warning against speculation on the Chinese yuan as the currency weakens against, against the U.S. dollar. The People's Bank of China issued the warning late yesterday, saying speculators will definitely lose money in the long term. The statement had the effect of halting the yuan's nine-day slide. On Wednesday, the yuan fell to the, fell to the weakest level since 2008, and last week it fell past the seven per dollar line. This is a threshold that Chinese officials have been trying to uphold in the past decade. They've only allowed the yuan to cross the threshold during especially hard times for the Chinese economy. And here to talk about the weakening yuan is Joseph Trevisani. He's a senior analyst at FX Street. Here he is. Joseph, thanks for joining us. You know, I just want to talk to you about the strengthening dollar and the weakening yuan. Do, do you believe that the tumbling yuan is more due to, to, to the fact that the dollar is going up, or is it more because of the chi- Chinese economy going down? 
Well, thank you for having me. It's a combination of both, and it's true around the world. If you look at all the currencies that trade against the dollar, which is primarily everything, the dollar's strength is universal right now. And it is primarily because of the U.S. Fed's insistence that it's going to raise rates to get inflation under control. No one else is taking such a hard line, no other central bank is taking such a hard line against inflation based on interest rate policy. So that's the main reason. And how do you think the Chinese government feels about the yuan weakening against the dollar? Well, the Chinese government, like everyone else, probably has a schizo slightly schizophrenic view of this. It is, of course, good for exports, meaning Chinese exports, just like it's good for British exports, European exports, because it weakens their, the price of their, current, their um, exports, their goods around the world. On the other hand, it's much worse for domestic consumers and for domestic consumption, because almost all raw materials in the world are priced in dollars, meaning it costs more in the local currency, and any imported items into a country will cost much more for the local consumer for the same reason. So it's a difficult balancing act more than anything else. But in the long term, it's dangerous, right? What if the peg breaks, right? Yes. In the long term, I think a weak currency is dangerous for almost any economy because it means that capital is going to be more reluctant to enter that country because the returns are poor and they have to worry a great deal about repatriation of money. So I think for in the long term, it's dangerous for the Chinese economy as it is for almost any other economy that has a habitually weak currency. You know, the, the yuan is at one dollar equals around seven yuan right now. It, yeah. Are we at a point where the Chinese government needs to be really concerned or are we not there yet? I don't think we're there yet. Um, I think the Chinese government is concerned about the yuan and its effect on the economy, not so much on the exports, but on loans that are extended in the country, some of which may have to be paid in foreign currency, I'm not really sure how many, and on the impact on their manufacturing process. It's going to make all of their goods that are produced more expensive. So that is a problem. It's also a problem that one of the other factors that's involved here is not simply the United States interest rates. But it's also the growing fear that the world is going to be headed into a pretty serious recession, partially because of the interest rate policies of many of the banks around the world, and partly because we're getting a residue and a hangover from the lockdowns and the damage that they inflicted on the world economy. If that comes to pass, you are seeing the currency effect now in that global markets always flee to the dollar. That also is behind the rise of the dollar. So that actually predicts more trouble for the Chinese economy. So does that mean we're going to see we're going to see the yuan weakening even more? I think it's probably peaked for the moment because you also have the reversal or at least the questioning of another major central bank in the world on its own policy, and that's the Bank of England. So I think you're going to see a more moderate approach, even in the United States, at least rhetorically, because the interest rate fears are one of the things that is driving both the U.S. dollar higher and fear in the currency markets and in the financial markets. Do you think China has enough reserves to keep the keep the peg going? I think they do. I don't think China has any problem about reserves. That's probably another reason why they're not terribly worried and they're not really making a lot of rhetorical interventions in the market, because if it, if it came to it, I think they could handle it as far as the currency reserves go. All right. Thank you very much, Joseph Trevisani, FX Street. Thanks for coming today. Thank you very much for having me. Have a good day.
And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Still to come after the break, Google announcing a new search update to make it easier to find specific dishes at nearby restaurants. And stricter rules could be coming for a popular new payment service. Some say it's too risky for consumers. That and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. Peloton is taking a new spin on its outlook. The fitness company has always boasted about selling its exercise equipment on its own website and its own stores. But that was then. Now, post-pandemic Peloton is branching out. The company has inked a deal with Amazon, which means the brand is available to buy on the e-commerce platform. And that's not the only place where Pelotons will be sold. Today, officials announced a partnership with Dick's Sporting Goods. A Dix official says this move will give both brands a boost in the fitness market. And have you ever had this problem where you're in the mood for a specific dish, but you don't know which restaurants offer it? Well, Google may have a solution soon. The company is working on making it easier to find dishes at nearby restaurants. Google announced a new search feature Wednesday. Users will be able to search for a particular dish on Google Maps by typing its name. The list of results will include images, and you'll be able to click on each image to get some specific details, such as price, restaurant names, and even ingredients. The feature will even let you search for versions of dishes that are vegan, vegetarian, or spicy. Google plans to release the feature in the coming months. And recent clinical trials show a new treatment is offering hope for Alzheimer's patients. In this next story, we take a look at what the data show and why some believe this is a promising step towards helping those suffering with this disease. In the U.S., around 6 million people are living with Alzheimer's disease, but a new monoclonal antibody treatment is showing promising results, according to drug makers. It's been a long time since we've had a development like this, potentially in the world of Alzheimer's. The companies that make the drug say clinical trials show it slowed the rate of cognitive decline by about 27 percent in those studied. Some of the 1,800 people in the trial got the drug, while others got a placebo. Over 18 months, they were asked questions about memory, orientation, and problem solving. And while 27% may not sound like a large number, in terms of being able to still be functional, uh, if you have that, that sort of slowing of cognitive decline, that can be really significant. In the trial, the treatment seemed to reduce the amount of plaques in the brain of a person with Alzheimer's disease. It's not entirely clear what the relationship is between clearing plaques and improving cognition, but this drug seemed to do both. While this treatment is promising, it's still early. They still got to, you know, put this through the peer review process. They've applied for accelerated approval from the FDA. If the treatment is given the green light, it could be available as early as next year. One of the drug makers is Biogen. It's also the company behind another Alzheimer's drug, Adrohelm which was controversially approved by the FDA in June 2021. 
Adrihome was the first new Alzheimer's drug approved in nearly 20 years. But there have been questions about its efficacy and cost. Remember Layaway? Well, now a new similar payment service called Buy Now, Pay Later is gaining popularity, but also gaining concerns. The service allows you to pay for items in installments. It's existed for a while now, but a new report from the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau has both economists and experts worried about Buy Now, Pay Later. Here's the story. Buy now, pay later. It's an increasingly popular online payment option, but it's also gaining the attention of federal regulators and raising concerns from some economists. I think buy now, pay later should be more highly regulated. The services, which allow you to pay for items in installments, could soon face stricter rules. A recent report from the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau found the services are financially risky for consumers and should be regulated more like credit card companies. Economist Mark Zandi agrees and says those types of loans are often going to hard-pressed, low-income households. They're particularly vulnerable and in many cases don't have the same kind of financial understanding that they might need to be able to really evaluate whether this is a good good uh, arrangement for them or not. According to the report, Americans took out more than $24 billion in loans on buy now, pay later programs in 2021. That's up from only $2 billion in 2019. Financial experts warn you could rack up debt you can't afford to pay back because the services encourage you to buy extravagant items that you previously wouldn't be able to buy. You're shopping online, you want a dress, you need a dress, but oh, you see this jacket and oh, you see something else. The next thing you know, you spent more because you can pay it over time. Most buy now, pay later companies charge late fees or start charging interest if you don't make payments on time. And missed payments may lead to them freezing your account and your debt could be turned over to a debt collector. And sometimes those late payments are reported, which could impact credit score. If you're not careful, you'll end up having a lot of these buy now, pay later contracts for stuff that you really don't need. Meanwhile, an iconic James Bond car has sold for over $3 million at auction. It's an Aston Martin DB5 replica used for the stunts in the 007 film No Time to Die. Well, it's, it's an iconic car in an iconic franchise uh, with a unique set of uh, features on it that will never, ever be seen on ever again. There are only two of them in the country or in the world. One of them is, is up for sale today. The other will never be sold. Auction House Christie says the car was purchased by an unnamed telephone bidder. He said the proceeds will benefit a slew of charities, including a British royal charity that supports members of the UK intelligence agencies, and three other charities for the members of the UK Special Forces. An array of James Bond props and costumes have been auctioned for charity as the film celebrates 60 years. Online bidding for other James Bond memorabilia remains open until next Wednesday, October 5th. Christie's Auction House is also trying to make a name with younger collectors into NFTs. Tuesday, the Auction House announced it's launching a new platform called Christie's 3.0. This online platform will be devoted to the NFT art market. NFTs, or non-fungible tokens, transform digital works of art and other collectibles into a one-of-a-kind asset. They can be big buys for those into cryptocurrency. And a team of researchers in Japan has developed a snake-shaped robot that can climb high steps, navigate through narrow spaces, and even give you a leg massage. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details. 
The robot has 17 joints equipped with distance sensors, gathering information to allow it to climb steps up to 3 feet high. Its main frame was created using a 3D printer, and about 40 motors were installed inside. It can be controlled by a game console, which gives instructions to the robot's head. Other parts of the body can move automatically. There are cameras attached to the head and the tail, and you can control the robot from a distance by watching the footage from those cameras. It's a long, thin robot, so it can get through tight spaces and use its length to climb high steps. Tanaka said the robot was designed to find survivors in collapsed houses, or any narrow space in disaster areas that are dangerous for humans. But conditions in an actual disaster site could still be very challenging for the robot to navigate at the moment. Conditions at a real disaster site are extremely harsh. The robot could get stuck in situations we didn't anticipate, like getting caught in wires or encountering surfaces that don't provide traction to the wheels. It's not good if the operation has to stop at a place where the robot can no longer move. Tanaka's team is currently conducting research to make the robot better equipped for real disaster rescue missions. He aims to put the device into practical use in three years. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. And that's all the stories we have today from the NTD business team and myself, Don Ma. You can follow me on Twitter, too. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at NTD.com. That's all for today. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you tomorrow.